While it may be cold outside, things are getting toasty warm at Global Voice Broadcasting. Heat up your winter nights with the hottest topics, the hottest celebrities, and today's best music. It's why Global Voice Broadcasting is becoming your 24-7 home for the music and talk you want right now. Discover your favorite shows and music anytime at globalvoicebroadcasting.com. It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin. A spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting, and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin, award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted, and she loves to talk sex. Only on Global Voice Broadcasting. Everything you can imagine is real. Pablo Picasso. Oh, the possibilities. Welcome back to Girl Boner Radio, where good girls go for sexual empowerment. And guys, too. I'm so glad you're listening. I'm your host, August McLaughlin, and I am so thrilled to be back with you all after a wonderful holiday break. I hope you had fantastic holidays. We are going to start the year here with one of my favorite topics, stories. I'm sitting here with Nicole Minsk, the author of a book I'm really enjoying right now called I Know How You Feel the Sensate. Welcome, Nicole. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Would you share a bit about your book? What's it about? Well, it's about a young man, uh, a young Hawaiian man named Hani, who's fresh out of the foster care system. Hani signs up to play guitar in an Austin bar open mic, where his performance flops, but a woman mistakes him for a country music superstar and touches his hand, releasing the dormant powers within him that cause him to develop as a sensate. Now, a sensate is a being who can latch on to the nervous systems of other people and feel every sensation they feel. Hani's never heard of a sensate, though, so he spends the book learning about his powers, usually during sex. Once Hani starts to understand his powers, he forms a plan to use them to dig himself out of extreme poverty. Unfortunately, the scholarship that forms the basis of his plan turns out to be a trap, and Hani has to find a way to escape a billion-dollar corporation led by an amoral scientist determined to add him to her collection of sensei. Oh, it is so compelling, and it is really sexy, and I think some, a story that we can all learn from and this, this world we can dive into. What did you, you know, why did you decide to write about sensei's? That's a really funny thing. I have two kids, and my baby was crying. And I couldn't figure out, as many moms can't figure out, what the problem was. And I remember thinking to myself, if only, if only I could feel what you can feel. And pretty much sensates were born from there. That's why I created them. <laughs> That's a great story to tell her over her lifetime, you know. Uh, what what a cool, cool beginning. Um, and the sex scenes, as I mentioned, are really riveting. And I think sex scenes in general, when they're well-written, are really compelling for so many reasons and, and very fun and enticing to read. But when you have a sensate in a sex scene, it takes it to a whole new level. What do you think that we can learn about sex from sensates? Well, I think that we can learn that for many people, there's a fundamental need to give pleasure during sex, not just to receive it. That's not enough. You see, in my initial drafts of my book, I had a scene in which Hani, my main character, the main sensate, gave a woman orgasm after orgasm without her even trying to please him sexually at all. 
Now, since Hani felt each of the woman's orgasms with her, that was exactly what Hani wanted. And my beta readers said, yeah, we know that, but, but it's still not enough. And so since they kept telling me that the scene was lacking something, I wrote it again. And the fix for the scene turned out to be that I had to have the woman repeatedly offer to try to please Hani and have him push her away, saying, don't do it, you're interrupting my good time. And I think those beta readers felt that they would have tried to please Hani, and even if it meant interrupting their own pleasure, and it wasn't satisfying for them unless the woman in the scene tried to. I love that, that sexual tension that you mentioned also. And from what I've gathered, you know, so many people... And a lot of guys that I know and, and who've shared their thoughts, you know, through social media or have sent me emails, they tend to really, really, really care about their female partner's, you know, pleasure and experience, too. So that's that's really, really exciting. Uh, what about from science fiction in general? I know that's a big question, but what are some of the takeaways there as far as what we can learn about our, our sex lives? Well, science fiction sex is shame-free sex. Science fiction has always been this wonderful place where ideas about sexuality that might otherwise be taboo can be explored in safety because, hey, these aren't people we're talking about. They're aliens or genetically modified humans or another species we happen to find in the middle of the Earth. So if science fiction stories about future humans who live and parent human parent children in single-sex communities or future humans who change their gender regularly become immensely popular. And yes, that is a nod to an author named Louis McMaster Bujold, who created such wor worlds in her Vorkosigan novels as early as 1986. Then that might indicate that our society is ready to move on and explore those ideas. I love that. I love that. And shame-free sex. That is what our world really needs. There's way too much shame and stigma around sexuality for, for pretty much everyone at some point, although I think there's a lot more um, for women or women of, you know, different gender orientations or sexual orientations. It seems like sci-fi really opens up those, those possibilities. Um, back to the, the sex question. I'm curious. We've talked about writing erotica here, uh, which I think is a really fascinating topic. And I know a lot of writers who struggle to write the sex scenes um, who aren't as openly sex positive or, you know, a lot of people blush when they sit down to try to write a sex scene. What are some tips that you'd have for someone who wants to write an effective one? Well, this is a tip not just for sex scenes. This is a tip for all writing. When you're writing, you need critique partners. Critique partners are terribly, terribly important because they will spot things you can't see anymore. You've read that page of writing a hundred times. You're ready to throw up over it. You couldn't possibly <laughs> spot an error in it. Like, for example, the fact that in spite of all this fantastic dialogue you've written that you are so proud of, you have your characters jumping from one sexual position to another in a way that's physically impossible. Or that you have your characters talking or having sex in an entirely white room with no scene description whatsoever of the character's surroundings. And yes, critique partners found both of those errors in my work at one point. Two more examples for you just from general. I have a colleague who had written a science fiction story about squid-like aliens. And in spite of the fact that the creatures had no part of their body which you could distinguish as a head, he had them nodding in time with music at one point. <laughs> Um, and I had a colleague who 
had a very sexy book she'd written about a cyborg. He had to have brain surgery at one point. That cyborg woke up in the middle of the surgery and commented on the fact that the instruments that were being stuck into his brain were cold, in spite of the fact that actually the brain doesn't have any touch receptors inside it, so it couldn't feel anything, let alone heat and cold. It's so funny because and I was laughing partly because I relate to making mistakes and it's it's something that we all do. We have there's typo blindness, but there's also kind of plot hole blindness sometimes or as we were talking about earlier, paying attention to different details, you know, people catch things. It sounds like you had a really good critique partner and I know I've heard both good and and some negative stories about finding the right critique either group or partner or whatever and I personally worked with a editor slash mentor that worked out really well. How do you find a good critique partner? Well, that's a good question. Um, it is difficult. It's a difficult pro- process. But something that really helped me was there's some very good online um, sites for um, authors workshopping sites. The one that I use is the online writing workshop for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Um, and uh, in particular, you can post your work there, and then you can get critiques from all sorts of people. And when you find somebody who gives you a critique back that you think really is exceptional, then you contact them and you say, hey, let's get together and be partners and I'll send you my work and you'll send me yours. And I have a couple of different people in England because it's an international website. Um, a couple of different people in England with whom I exchange work on a regular basis. And it's just been a, a wonderful learning experience and a fantastic just friendship experience as well. And it's a great site, that site that I mentioned. In fact, it has, uh, as some of its editors, the um, there's a gentleman who is currently the editor of Fantasy and Science Fiction magazine. Um, and he uh, is one of the editors of the workshop. He even gave uh, I Know How You Feel an award on that site for an Editor's Choice Award because they do that. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's very, very cool. And I love the fostering friendships that you mentioned because writing is a very solitary process. You know, we have our characters keeping us company and it's nice to have other people for sure. Um, I know we're all inspired by other stories and other writers. What other books or authors have you found particularly empowering, whether it's sexually or otherwise? Well, sexually, I have to say the um, Cecilia Town, uh, Tan books. Um, she's the founder of Circlet Press. And We're going to actually be sharing some insight from her today. Are you really? <laughs> yeah, you guys, we didn't plan that. <laughs> oh, what, what, what an incredible coincidence. I love her Magic University series, which is basically Harry Potter with sex Yay. and with, um, you know, lesbian and um, homosexual characters and uh, characters who uh, wouldn't appear in your Harry Potter series. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's, um, that's an amazing She's, I love that you said that too, because she'll get to hear you, uh, give her praise. So thank you for that. Well, that's, that's very, that's pretty wonderful. And she has a story with, um, psychics too, mind games. That's a, another one, um, in the science fiction realm, um, or fan, magic universities fantasy, but, uh, just on the empowering scale, uh, I have a, there's a wonderful author, um, Marion Zimmer Bradley, she wrote uh, Mists of Avalon, which is the King Arthur legend, but told from the point of view of Morgane Le Fay, the witch. It's very empowering. It just sort of stands up and says, I am woman and you've told my story wrong. It's it's a wonderful thing. And she did it again, um, told uh, a, an ancient legend from the perspective of a woman in Firebrand. Um, Marion Zimmer Bradley told they, um, the odd, you know, the Iliad and the Odyssey, the story of Troy and Achilles, 
um, from the perspective of Cassandra, who was the um, cursed woman, cursed by the sun god, who was cursed to always tell the truth, but never to be paid attention to by anyone because she would be thought mad. And that's a, just a wonderful, wonderful story in which she opens up by saying, uh, the story has been, has been told wrong all these years. You, you don't understand. Bards, you've been telling the story of all these kings. There were no kings. There were just queens. And they had consorts. And that was how history started. Fierce. I want to read all of those. That, that is awesome. What empowering and, and uplifting, inspiring stories that are so important. I heard Elizabeth Gilbert speak last year, and she talked about the lack of hero stories historically that, that star females. And I think, you know, she mentioned there might be a side character as a witch, but it's never a really empowering figure or whatnot. So that's, that's really cool. I'm going to have to add those to my uh, reading list. Since you brought up Cecilia Tan, I'm going to go ahead and introduce her fabulous clip here. Um, as you mentioned, she's an award-winning author of many novels of erotic romance, science fiction, and fantasy, including the Magic University series Slow Surrender, The Prince's Boy, and the forthcoming rock star erotic romance Taking the Lead. I love that. She's also the founder and editorial director of Circlet Press, and that's a premier publisher's uh, company of erotic science fiction and fantasy. She's been doing that for over 23 years, which is completely awesome. And I loved what she had to say about gender and love. I specifically asked what we can learn from sci-fi about sex. Science fiction opens the horizons of sexuality in all different directions. I mean, it lets us reimagine society. So if we're going to, even if we're sticking with biology for our story, you know, regular old human biology, we can still have totally different ideas of gender roles and gender divisions and sexual orientation. So, uh, so much classic science fiction um, deals with these issues I mean, from Ursula K. Le Guin to Samuel Delaney. I mean, even there's gender changing aliens in Star Trek. And I think what we can learn from that is basically don't be so uptight about categories and just accept that love is love. Love is love. Amen. Beautifully said. She also shared thoughts said. on social stigma. Uh, here's her second clip. Science fiction is about asking what-if questions, and when we ask those questions about sex, we basically make it okay to talk about sex in ways that are really often suppressed in modern society. We've already seen, I mean, the social effect of technology and progress on sexuality in tremendous ways. I mean, in recent decades, from birth control to STD treatment to gender reassignment. Imagine, what if in the future all issues around sex could be unlinked from shame and social stigma? I mean, that's the big question. So whether that happens because of technology or because of social change, right now, science fiction stories give us both kinds of roadmaps to that future. Sounds like that resonated with you. I know you brought up shame already, but any Absolutely. thoughts on, on Cecilia's take? You know, I'm, I'm really glad that she mentioned um, some of the things she mentioned. Ursula K. Will Gwyn just groundbreaking um, stuff with regard to sexuality and, and changing of, of gender roles. Um, and Star Trek, uh, the first interracial kiss on television was on Star Trek between Uhura and uh, William Shatner, between uh, Nichelle Nichols, who plays the Uhura character, and Nichelle Nichols, who plays, uh, I'm sorry, Nichelle Nichols, who plays the Uhura character, and William Shatner, who plays Captain Kirk. Um, and it was it was a huge deal. And it happened because this was science fiction, and it was a future, and it was okay. It's so powerful. It, stories in general, and I think entertainment is such a powerful way to teach and to move our culture f 
forward. You know, it's it's amazing. To learn more about Cecilia Tan, you can check out her website. That's blog.ceciliatan.com and find her on Twitter at Cecilia Tan. I also asked uh, Annabeth Leong to share some thoughts. She's the editor of Maker Sex, Erotic Stories of Hackers, Geeks, and DIY Projects. I love that. Coming soon from Circlet Press. Her erotic science fiction story, Repair Mission, was selected for Heiresses of Rust 2015, the year's best lesbian speculative fiction. Her passions include rock climbing, sea creatures, and trying to read all the books. I totally relate. I loved what Annabeth had to say about imagination and sex related to sci-fi. A lot of times sci-fi is about making the world what you need it to be, making yourself what you need it to be. You see examples of people changing their bodies, changing their environment, building amazing things. And for me, that has a lot of connection to what I need out of sex. I grew up learning things about how sex was supposed to be or how sex had to be or how I was supposed to feel about sex or while I was having it. And for me, seeing a science fiction context helps me to remember that I can make sex what I need it to be now. I can change how my body's relating to people. I can make my own definitions. And that's really important. I think it's important from a queer perspective that sex can look very different from what I learned at my conservative high school, but it's also really important from a straight perspective. I think for a lot of people, there's the idea that certain sex acts count and certain sex acts don't. And I think science fiction can have a way of freeing your mind and opening you to all kinds of possibilities, all kinds of ways that things might look different than uh, you learned when you were younger. And for me, bringing that into sex is a really interesting and important activity. Such wonderful insight. Learn more about Annabeth on her website, AnnabethErotica.com, and find her on Twitter at Annabeth Leong, L-E-O-N-G. I'm starting to think that sci-fi needs to be part of sex ed curriculum. <laughs> I mean, really, it'd be so much more interesting. Uh, what, what did you think of that? Um, uh, of sci-fi being part of sex ed, ed curriculum? I mean, I'm all in favor of that. I love um, science fiction, and I think that there's a lot of stuff in science fiction that could, could really help children, um, young adults who are going through sexual education to, to cope with the changes in their bodies and what's happening to them. Absolutely, absolutely. And I loved what she said about, you know, good sex versus bad sex and we're all taught that certain kinds of sex or sexuality are, are wrong, you know, as as kids. I certainly could relate to that. So that was a really powerful message, I thought. She went on to explain the essence of non-human characters and our need for connection with others. In science fiction, no matter how strange the setting or the beings, there's always the sense that there's an essence to sentience. I think that across all the stories I've ever read, you start to get down to what's really at the core of humanity or beingness if you're talking about non-human characters. And I see a lot of things there. There's a need for connection. There's a need for other individuals. And some really powerful stories I've read are about the loneliness of space or the isolation that you can feel somewhere. And so a lot of times science fiction is about seeking that connection to other beings. And I think it shows that sexuality and the connections that we form through sexuality are really at the core of what it means to be a sentient being. And I think sex and science fiction go together really well. Erotic science fiction makes a lot of sense to me because 
no matter where we go as humans, we're always going to need that type of connection, and whether it's asexual, sexual, queer, people are always going to find ways to connect to each other. Beautiful. Is that a theme that you found arising in your book with the sensates? I imagine because you said he doesn't know he's a sensate. That could be a lonely road at first. Well, um, he he doesn't know he's a sensate. He also doesn't experience things in the way that other human beings do. Because he is a sensate, he doesn't have a, a natural, normal sense of taste, a natural, normal sense of smell. Um, those things are all downgraded in my sensate characters because they like to experience those things through uh, the people they touch. So he, he wandered around thinking there was something wrong with him until he had his first sensate experience. So, yeah, that was kind of isolating for him. And when he finally connected to another human being uh, in that way, it was the best thing he'd ever experienced and he couldn't get enough. Beautiful. Uh, would you like to read us an excerpt of your beautiful story? Oh, that would be lovely. Thank you. I'm very excited. I know you chose one of the sexy scenes, of which there are many, but uh, I'm excited to, to hear this one. Well, well, thank you. Um, before I start, I should uh, say a couple of things about the scene. Um, first off, uh, Lori uh, is the female heroine in this scene. She's a brilliant PhD chemistry graduate student, but she's very overweight and she has a really poor self-image, which Honey doesn't like about her. He's very, very angry that she's so hard on herself and has been for such a long time. Um, and Hani and Lori in this scene are returning home from a party. He's Hani has just graduated from EMT school. Um, uh, that's emergency medical technician school. And Hani's gotten very, very drunk. And Lori took on the role of being his designated driver. Last thing, in the book, I use the word feel all in caps when Hani uses his powers. Obviously, that's impossible to do on the radio. So I'm going to modify this slightly for the purposes of reading on a radio. Perfect. Hani reached the end of the party in a happy drunken haze, barely able to stand. They dropped off Mina, who was not much better off than Hani, and Lori drove her back to his and Lori drove back to her place, where she expected Hani to crash immediately, but instead Honey, Jesus, I feel drunk, Honey said, laughing. Hmm, I'm borrowing from you. I didn't know you could do this, Lori said. I wasn't sure I could, but it seems to be working. Now come with me, and I'll reward you for staying on the wagon. She couldn't walk in the pumps, so she kicked them off and followed him into the bedroom. Get your clothes off, Honey said. Damn, I get sex and I get to be drunk to boot. I like helping you try out new powers, she said as she fumbled with the buttons of her dress. My experiments are better than yours, Hani said. He borrowed a bit slower, and she got the dress off. Please, experiment as much as you like, Lori said. She unhooked her bra, let it fall, and took off her panties. Good. Now that I've got you drunk and naked, let's have some fun. He tossed his pants aside and rolled on a condom. They stood together at the foot of her rumpled bed. He kissed her mouth, her neck, her breasts. He stepped back to look at her. You are so beautiful tonight, all the men at the party must have wanted you. She laughed. Honey, I'm not exactly the kind of woman men... Quiet, Lori. 
He used his powers to take her voice so she couldn't speak. Yes, he said. I like shutting your mouth so you can't knock yourself down. I'm tired of it. You're beautiful, and men want you. Oh, wow, being drunk with you is good. I like this. This is my special night, my night to push boundaries, and now I know just how to cap it off. He leered at her, smiling. Let's have a story. I'll be your narrator. He made her close her eyes so she couldn't see the real world around her and, res and resumed speaking. In this story, you don't leave the party with me. Two men see you all alone and offer you a tour of the station. A couple of firefighters, big men, real charmers, too. They keep smiling and teasing until they embarrass you into accepting their invitation. You're so clueless, you even tell yourself as you walk out of the party with them that it would be great to see a real fire station. You have no idea they're interested in you, but you never think anyone's interested. So it's such a nice surprise when one of those handsome men kisses you at the station. Hani gave her the sensation of a hungry mouth on hers, the man's stubble scraping her skin. You can't believe it's happening, Hani said. It's too good to be true. You're sure you have to be dreaming because you're not the kind of woman men want. And then, Hani made her feel hands turn her and pull her into the embrace of a second man. He was well built and his clean-shaven face didn't scratch. The man's cock pressed into her through his pants, and through his powers, Hani felt her ache for it. "'You can't think what to do,' Hani said. "'It's just so enticing to feel his broad, seductive lips on yours, but you think it's dirty to kiss one man after another. And then, as that second man kisses you, the first man reaches from behind to get his hand under that pretty dress you wore tonight and into your panties.' Hani made her feel thick fingers rubbing her clit. Through his powers, he felt Lori's body go crazy with need. You know it's perverted, kissing one man while another touches you, but you can't bear the thought of it stopping, so you stand, frozen, moaning into the second man's mouth. Through his powers, Hani felt how much she wanted to moan. He let her moan into his mouth, playing the smooth-faced man. As soon as he did it, though, he got a shock. He could feel that she wanted him to gag her again. He shut her mouth. The first man is so good with his fingers you start to drip, Hani said. Slick fluid ran down Lori's legs for real. Through his powers, Hani felt it and licked her clean. The stubbled man kept rubbing. Once his mouth was free, Hani spoke again. And even though you would never ever do something like this, the way those fingers stroke you, especially while the other man looks at you, running his tongue over his lips after lapping the juice off your thighs, you lose control, you hear yourself begging, the fingers rubbed faster, and begging, a finger slid down and pushed into her, and begging for cock, the finger pumped her vagina, a different hand reached into her panties from the front, one of the hand's slender fingers settled onto Lori's clitoris and stroked it. Hani released his hold on her mouth. Please, please fuck me, she said. Yes, Lori, you say it just like that. Mmm, that was very delicious. Thank you so much for sharing that. My pleasure. Tell us again the name of your book and where we can buy it. It is called I Know How You Feel, The Sensate. 
and it is available on pretty much everywhere. Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Kobo, iTunes, and you can find a nice little review of it on um, science, uh, sci-fi erotica reviews.wordpress.com slash Betty Zix. Oh, and uh, Twitter, I'm Nicole Minsk1, and my website is NicoleMinsk.com, and um, that's pretty much it. Perfect. So I'm so excited and I'm really grateful that you're here to, to share today. Speaking of stories and sexy stories, I decided to ask our wonderful sex and relationship expert, uh, Dr. Megan Fleming, to share her thoughts on using erotica to enhance our sex lives and intimacy. August, I think erotic books and stories are sort of an amazing tool to discover what you don't know, you know. Um, and by that, I mean, if you've never sort of exposed yourself uh, to sort of kind of erotic stories or themes um, that could be, you know, group or a couple or same sex or rough sex or slow sex, you don't know until you sort of read it on the page what really can speak to you, what might really be titillating or turn you on. Um, for some, you know, women and men that might be um, – sort of uh, rougher sexual play or BDSM. And for others, those very same experiences, very physically and viscerally in their body would be a clear turnoff. So taking time reading stories um, really helps you ex sort of expand your sexual repertoire because you have, it's like, I always say that yellow light, uh, red light, green light. If something speaks to you, it sort of jumps off the page and you get absorbed very quickly. And if something really doesn't speak to you, that's sort of the red light. I always tell my clients, stop reading. Um, you know, it's one of those things that qu pretty quickly you know whether it... Um, the theme or the content or those imageries are something that are a, a clear sort of turn on for you. And then that creates an opportunity to sort of explore that with your partner. Um, everything from just sort of playing in those ideas uh, and sharing fantasies, which in and of itself can be hot, or you might decide together that you're going to kind of dip a toe into the water to see if in reality, in real life, um, sort of those images, those sexual acts, that those um, experiences are a real turn on. And one of the things I definitely tell my clients is to appreciate that sometimes erotic stories and fantasies are just that. It's in your imagination. Um, you know, it's, it's a really common fantasy, a date rape fantasy amongst women. And that doesn't in any way, uh, mean that women want to be raped in real lives, but the idea of in fantasy that they can submit and have no control and things are just happening to them can be an erotic idea. So I think it's really important to distinguish, like sometimes people can even be upset that, um, you know, I'm sort of turned on by the same sex, but I don't really think that, uh, I would be in real life. And that's generally Generally, you know, I call itself as expert. Um, it's, it's certainly true. The idea of something in imagery and story may actually only be erotic for you in that context and may not be in real life. So that's where you get to sort of make those decisions to decide what you want to try on and sort of doing it in a paced, gradual way. And what you can just always enjoy in, a, in terms of a story because it can be an opportunity to sort of simmer your sexuality uh, to either turn on or keep that erotic flame until your partner is around. So I really encourage 
anyone and everyone um, to go and see what stories speak to you. I'm, I'm pretty clear that I don't make specific uh, erotic recommendations because I'm quite aware that we're all wired differently. And I really think it should be um, a fun experiment to just really explore and try on different stories and genre and writers and, uh, and find the ones that speak to you most. I love that. And I love that she mentioned fantasy versus reality and just letting your imagination go. It's interesting because there's actually a study on uh, pornography that came out recently that showed that a lot of straight women are really turned on by lesbian pornography. And I think part of it is because when you are not in the mainstream hardcore pornography, you're seeing a lot of sexual imagery that is not as offensive to women or I mean, depending on how you interpret it, it's not, it's more women centric. And there are other studies that show that women are turned on by more uh, different kinds of stimuli than, than men are as far as, um, you know, animal sex scenes even. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's really important to note. So thank you so much, Dr. Megan. That was really, really awesome. Learn more about Dr. Megan at greatlifegreatsex.com. She tweets from at Megan Fleming. PhD. Nicole, before I let you go, I feel like I have to ask this question. Sure. So Sensate is the name also with, with a number eight is, yes. a, is a popular TV show on Netflix that I really loved. I know a lot of listeners enjoy it too. It's very sexy. It does involve Sensates, but I know when I first saw the show or heard of the show, I didn't realize that I thought they, you know, had come up with that term because I didn't know the history. I'm curious, could you tell listeners and share with me how does your story maybe differ or compare to the premise of the, the TV show? Well, as I understand it, um, the TV show is about um, some individuals who are linked with seven others of their kind. So a sense eight, is, the reason that it has that literal eight on it is that it's a group of eight people who are interconnected in their lives so they can experience everything that the other individuals experience and take their skills. Um, interestingly enough, uh, my idea, which is similar in certain respects, for example, my uh, sensates can feel the physical sensations of other people, but my sensates can feel the physical sensations of all other people, not just the other seven individuals with whom they're, they're, they're linked. We came up, uh, the founders of the television show, uh, which I believe are the, uh, the, um, um, I can't remember the gentleman who did the matrix. Um, uh, well, one gentleman and one woman now, please pardon that. Um, they came up with that concept around the same time I did. I think I copyrighted mine about a month before they pitched theirs. Um, so it's very similar, but it just so happens that sometimes people have similar ideas. Theirs is also different in as much as while they can take the physical attributes of a person, um, my um, sensate, Hani, he can take the physical skills of somebody. So, for example, if he touches a concert violinist, he can become a concert violinist for a period of two days, after which he loses that. That is rad. Um, <laughs> um, and uh, then the most important difference I have with my sensates as opposed to their sensates is that my sensates can actually change the physical um, sensations that a person feels. So they are in complete and absolute control, which, as you can imagine, makes for some fun in a sex scene. Uh, Hani can make a woman feel anything he wants just by touching her. Uh, I have a scene early on in the book in which he is 
for various reasons, very sick because he hasn't had any human contact for a while. And he's trying to convince this girl to go home with him. And he takes that time to convince her that he is a vampire and because she's really into vampires. Um, she likes to read books about vampires. She's a big vampire fan. And so he uses powers to convince her that he's a vampire. And he tells her that vampires can make a person feel anything. And then he, in the middle of a coffee shop, in the middle of the afternoon, takes her hand and makes him, her feel him licking her, her clit. <laughs> okay, you know that question people ask at parties sometimes, like, what superpower do you want? That's a cool one. <laughs> Either to have it or to have somebody, a partner who has it. <laughs> so, someone in your life who has that. Yes. Yeah, that is so exciting. Wow, thank you so much. Yeah, I, I really think that anyone who enjoys the TV show would get so much from your book because I feel like I know books can can go really deep in so many ways. You know, you can, you can explore scenes more and you have wonderful sex scenes. You have, I know there's a big very famous orgy scene in the TV show and you have very different scenes, but you also have, as you shared, you know, some, some really <laughs> enticing things that, as Dr. Megan said, you could fantasize about, you could safely perhaps put some of those into a play without the actual ability, perhaps, unless some of you are sensates, who knows? Um, if you are, we want to know. Yes, please call in, uh, drop me a note, find me somewhere, augustmclaughlin.com. Let me know. I would love to interview you, a real live sensate. Thank you again for joining me. This has been super fun for me. Oh, absolutely. For me, too. For more Girl Boner Fun, be sure to subscribe on iTunes. And if you love what you hear, we'd love a rating and review. You can also mix and mingle with me and the whole Girl Boner community online. Find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash mygirlboner. And find my blog and links to everything else at augustmclaughlin.com. As a reminder, my new book, Embraceable, Empowering Facts and True Stories About Women's Sexuality, is now available on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com with the paperback coming soon. And if you missed it last week... Um, uh, last show, we explored it in depth so you can hear me chat all about it. And I'd love to hear what you think. So, a review there, wherever you buy it, would be really, really awesome. To learn more about our lovely guest today, Nicole Minsk, check out her website, nicoleminsk.com. That's N I C O L E M I N S K.com. Thank you so, so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week.